Hi everybody, this is Jordan D. White here. I am the host of this show, Cast and Wax, and we're getting awfully close to the end of the series. I don't know if you know this, but um, we are. And uh, that's why we are doing the series finale of two of our radio shows tonight. Both Decker and Hayes and Tractor Fiction, which I should mention are our two uh, earliest serials. Tractor Fiction, oldest, and Decker and Hayes, second oldest, are ending tonight. Uh, Tonight being the night that you're listening to this, presumably if you're listening to it at night. Anyway, the point is, they're ending. We have a jam-packed show. Gosh almighty, we do. We have those two things. We have Escapee Story, and all of them are long. So we've got to get right to it. Uh, we've got to get right into it. Uh, unfortunately, there's only three of us here. Uh, usually there's four of us here, but there's only three of us tonight. I don't know why that is. Um, so here's Mr. Rory Sinjin. Hello, Jordan. Yes, um, Frank Adams not here. Um, we've been trying to reach him. We've been unable to. Um, he knew he knew the time we were supposed to be recording, and yet he's still not here. So they were. Yeah, I know. It's very it's very weird. It's very weird. Um, he's been. Uh, it's been, I, I actually haven't heard from him in a little while. Um, it's been it's been ages since we did a show. Yet again, it's been three weeks. Um, I'm going to do my best to keep it to two, to two a month, like I said. So there's going to be another one in two weeks from now. But uh, it's been three weeks since the last time we had a show, and I, I apologize for that. But uh, I haven't heard from Frank very much in that time. He's got his job at uh, what was the name of the restaurant he's working at, Rory? Le Lieu. Oh right, Le Le Le, le, le. Um, And he's he's supposedly been staying at Thomas Edison's place in New Jersey. Um, so he's been doing a lot of commuting, and he hasn't really been here with us very much uh, while we've been planning things out. But you know, I assume that means it's going well. But I don't know, and I haven't heard from him, and now he's not here. So. I left him lots of messages saying, you know, we're recording at the same time as always. It's this week, da 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 da. But he's not. Here. Well, you know, perhaps it's just perhaps he had to work. Perhaps he had to work a shift. Yeah, doing the busing tables and stuff like that. Right. Yes. Perhaps you know he, he got busy at it and and he he just thought to himself, you know, this is important that I keep my job and I, you know even though my friends would expect me there, I you know I just can't do that. So you wait. So you're suggesting that maybe he stayed working at a restaurant when he could have been doing a host segment, uh, hosting something as a professional host. No, that doesn't sound very much like him, does it? No. Not at all, no. All right, then I, yes, I don't know where he is. Um, well, let me get to our last host. Our last host is, of course, Scape White, my cat. Hello, Jordan. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Now, Scape, this is a kind of an exciting show because uh, you, you, uh, as you heard, your, your cover of Silent All These Years opened the, the show, and your final your final song is closing the show, as well as your essay about your final song. Yes, that's going to be very good. Well, I, I, I'm sure it will. Uh, we do have to rush through everything, like I said, but um, but I did want to ask you about how, how, that exciting, how exciting that was. For, oh, uh, hold on. Um, just one second. Hello? Uh, yeah, this is Jordan. Frank? What? Well, I get we're recording a show right now. Yes, well, okay. Frank, we're in the middle of recording. We're not going to stop recording. No. No. This is an op- You know that this is something we do. You knew- I left you a me- Well, look, it's only- You know it doesn't take that long. It's probably going to take us like an hour, you know? I'll, look, I'll hurry. I'll hurry. I'll hurry. I said I'll hurry. Like an hour. Okay. No, I... I that's a... That's a lot of money. Um, look, all right. All right. All right! An hour. <sighs> okay, guys, uh, we gotta... We gotta really blast through this. Um, uh, That was Frank. He's been arrested. Uh, what? For what? What did he do? Well, he didn't say. He just asked me to bring money. No, we should go. No, we're not. No, we, I mean, after the show. I told him I told him we had to finish recording. Jordan, don't you think? No, Rory, because it, it, this is something he knew about. It's, it's something we do all the time. It's an obligation that we have. Look, we're just going to hurry. Listen, guys, we're just going to have to hurry. Frank's been arrested, as you as you heard us just discussing. So um, uh, we're just going to have to hurry through. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's go. Oh, let's get straight to the first uh, section of the show.
time for Apple Watch, so Rory, take it away. Well, Jordan, you know, I, this doesn't really seem entirely appropriate. Frank was just arrested, so I don't think we should be mocking him. We don't know even what happened. Oh, okay. He, he got arrested, but he's still an Apple, and we all know it, so we can still make fun. Well, Jordan, that, I mean, that, I'm, I'm, I, I, that really does sound like kicking a man when he's down. So I don't know if I necessarily... You would, because you were arrested, right? Is that why you're saying this? Well, that's not... I mean, that's not why. I, I mean, of course, I, I have experienced it, and it's a terrible thing, but that's not why I'm saying it. I mean, it just seems like it's not really appropriate. So you're not going to do... Well, uh, I mean, you know, look, all right, here, you know, here's the update. Unfortunately, Frank Allen's not here at this time because he's been arrested. Details to, to come next week, I suppose. That's it? That's going to be the whole segment? Well, you said we're in a hurry. Look, we, we should really go pick him up. <sighs> well, oh, all right, that's the end of the segment, Skate. So here we go. So I guess uh, we're going to, you know, like I said, we're hurrying. So um, thank you for listening. But this is going to be the, the end, the culmination of three seasons of Decker and Hayes. Um, you know, in the first season of Decker and Hayes, we were introduced to the lesbian detectives, Macy Hayes and Stella Decker. We found out Stella was former gang member. Macy was a former CIA. And the season ended with Macy going to jail. In season two, the CIA came and got her out of jail in return for helping stop a Russian arms dealer. Um, the girls only semi-stopped him and Stella ended up getting shot in the spot. Paralyzed for life. Here we are in season three. Stella's in a wheelchair. Nobody knows if Macy's trustworthy or if she's been cheating on her love. They have a crazy secretary. They have a cop who's out to get them. The mayor is not what he seems. And there's a gang leader called the Widow out to kill them. Let's see how everything resolves in the city of Parlotown. Deckard Hayes, season three. Episode 11, all wrapped up. By Jordan D. White. Stella Decker and Macy Hayes had always been the saving grace of Parlor Town. What can I do for you, ladies? To most of the state it might have been a bleak, grey patch along the side of the interstate, but to Decker and Hayes it was much more. It was home. Even though Stella had been raised in its darkest and most squalid crevices, even though Macy had spent much of her life traveling with the agency, Parlor Town held a special place in their hearts, and as such they made a stand there side by side, fighting for what was right against all possible odds in a city that loved being wrong. Even when it meant going to jail for murder. Even when it meant facing paralysis. Even when it was nearly tearing them apart. We've had something of a break on the case. We were going to come to you, but something's come up. Can you meet us at our office? Well, I do have some appointments this afternoon. It's an emergency, sir. We may be able to wrap things up for good. You might want to bring our final payment. Well then, I'll be there. Mayor Robert Glass had held the city's highest office for decades. Somehow he'd managed to maintain the illusion of fighting corruption even as crime continued to fester throughout his tenure. The girls were just as fooled as everyone else. When he hired them to investigate a strange threat he'd received, he'd seemed as squeaky clean as his photos suggested. Now they weren't so sure. He's coming? Sure thing. And I'm sure Stan will be right by his side. Great. You'll be all right to get into the office? I'll be fine. You go fetch a hooker. The threats to the mayor seemed to be coming from the widow, who the detectives soon learned was a powerful crime madam in the South Tip. Over the course of their investigations, they'd found the mayor's two missing daughters, lost the brothel Stella had been running for a dead friend, been attacked by and killed a woman with a machete, fired a psychopathic secretary, gotten a priest kidnapped, cost a cop his hand, and fought more and harder than they ever had. But slowly the loose ends were coming together. Stella wheeled her way into the Decker and Hayes offices and flipped on the lights to find one of those loose ends waiting in her secretary's chair. Evening, Mrs. 
Decker. I'm a little busy, Bobco. I don't have time to beat your ass just now. Shut up, you hear me? This is my moment to talk. Got it? I'll let you know when it's your turn, bitch. Besides, I think you'll be very interested in this little gift box I got recently. The former officer Bobco rose and, awkwardly holding his revolver in his left hand, gestured to a box of papers on Jane's desk with his right stump. What is it? Oh, nothing much. Just information on almost every crime he ever did in Parlatown. I'm talking about from the blades down to the brothel. I'm talking pictures, financial records, all sorts of things. Where did you get that? A friend. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm not the only guy in town who doesn't like nosy broads. Looks like it mostly came from Mama Wang's personal files. Stuff that must have been hidden. You're going down hard. Bitch, and I'm gonna get commended for killing a murderer. You think so? As Bobko leveled the weapon at her head, Stella spun her wheels hard, rocketing her chair forward into Bobko's legs. As he doubled over, she wrenched the gun out of his hand and pressed it against his head. Because I'm not feeling it. It's no good, Decker. I've already made copies. This stuff is on its way to Stern's desk as we speak. Kill me. It'll just be one more life sentence. You're still screwed. <laughs> Stella hesitated. Bobco deserved to die. He deserved worse. But she hesitated. Get the hell out of my office. You're still going down, bitch. This doesn't change a thing. You hear me? You're finished! <laughs> out! Down in the parking lot, the returning Macy was having troubles of her own. She was just stepping out of the truck when... Don't move a muscle, Miss Hayes. The duo's recently fired secretary, Jane Vance, had a gun in Macy's face. Did I not hurt you enough the last time, Jane? I want you to keep away from Miss Decker. You're dreaming. You're no good for her. Miss Decker dragged herself out of the South Tip and made something of her life, and being with a dirty, double-crossing slut like you is just holding her back. You're the reason she's in that wheelchair. I want to get her out of this world. So that's all this is? Just jealousy? You've got a crush? No! I... I admire her. She's noble, she's strong, and she deserves better than some floozy making eyes at nurses behind her back. And she's going to get it once you're back in jail. What are you talking about? I'm taking you to the police. I've already reported you. Private investigation without a license, assault, and of course divulging state secrets, all of which you'll find, violates the deal that you made with the CIA to get you out of prison. I'm afraid you're up a creek, Miss Hayes. You're right, Jane. I... I am? Yep. So there's nothing to stop me from doing this. Macy kicked the gun out of Jane's hand, sending it flying through the air, then punched the girl in the face, a sickening crack echoing from her nose as it began to spout blood. She then shoved Jane hard against the side of the truck and held her there. You bitch! Stella and I may have troubles, but we love each other. Do you understand that, you psychopath? Love is the thing you feel for someone after you stop harboring the illusions that they're perfect. It's the thing that hurts, because you know she can be a piece of crap, but you care about her anyway. And maybe she does deserve better than a killer like me, but some sorry excuse for a human being like you isn't going to fit the goddamn bill. Go home and grow up, Jane. You'll pay for this! Yeah, we'll mail you your final paycheck. I see you again. It's your neck that breaks. Bye now. As the girl fled, Macy picked up her fallen gun and headed into the building. Bobco, thankfully, was long gone. Upstairs, she came face to face with her lover. We need to talk. We've got trouble. I know, we- wait, what are you talking about? Hello, ladies, am I interrupting? The mayor entered the office, flanked by a pair of security guards. One of them was Stanley Hooper. Of course not. Come into my office, Mr. Mayor. All five went into the inner office, and the mayor sat, his guards standing at the ready. Stella shot a questioning look at Macy, who- 
nodded. Well, Mayor, we've solved a few of the little mysteries of this case. We just have a couple of questions left, and I think we'll know everything we need. That's excellent news, Miss Decker. Please, anything you want. I'll be happy to get all of this behind me. Did you bring our payment? Of course. Stan? The guard brought up a briefcase and placed it on Stella's desk. He clicked off the latches and spun it to face her, revealing the thousands of dollars in cash the mayor had promised them. Before his hands left the case, both Macy and Stella drew their guns and had the guards covered. Drop your weapons on the floor and kick them under the desk. What's going on here? Drop them or I shoot. Slowly, please. Do it. For Christ's sake, men, do it. The guards slowly unsnapped their holsters and removed their weapons, dropping them to the floor and kicking them towards the detectives. You're making a big mistake. I told you we had a few questions left. So who's scamming who, Stan? When you skinned that cat, were you working for the mayor or the widow? What are you talking about? Oh, come on. Say it sexy like on the tape. Stan, is this true? Don't play dumb, you bastard! What? What's going on here? The widow showed Father Bly into the room and followed behind, pistol in the small of his back. You all right, Father? I'd be better if I were at home, Stella. I was told you'd finished the case. What is this? We're about to. I think we all just need to have a little sit-down and talk things over. Macy, can you make our guests more comfortable? With the widow keeping her gun on Father Bly, and Stella keeping hers on the mayor, Macy tied the two guards to one another, then knocked them out. Is all of this necessary? Now that we have a little privacy, we can all get comfortable. I'm not comfortable with her in the room. That's funny, Mr. Mayor. I thought you didn't know who she was. Why did you call me here? Take a seat. I said we're going to talk this out. Fine, but I'm not letting Bly out of my sights. Then I'll just shoot you in the head. It's what we do. And a shot from that little pea shooter in the father's gut? He'd be fine in a month. Macy's to your head? You'd be pretty gone. I suggest you let him go. The widow frowned for a while, then lowered her weapon, putting it on the desk. Stella picked it up with a handkerchief, then tossed Bly one of the wads of bills from the mayor's case. Get yourself a cab, father. Be safe, ladies. Not likely. Once the priest was gone, Stella got down to business. We're here to cut through all the bull, all right? Before you even start to deny it, I know you know each other. You killed Miss Vera, widow, and you, Glass, covered it up. Are you both ready to get straight with us? Why would we tell you anything? Because you both want to know about her. Macy held up the picture the pair had both given them on separate occasions. The picture of the mayor's daughter. I don't know what you're talking about. I've told you all I know. Have you found her? Where is she? That answers that question. Stan was only working for the mayor. What the hell are you talking about? This isn't the mayor's daughter. We did find the other daughter. It was easy once we really did the footwork. The only piece that didn't fit was the photo. I assume the mayor gave you a copy? Yes, he did. This is ridiculous. You're going to take a criminal's word over mine? I blackmailed him into the cover-up. I wanted to operate in secret. Best way to keep alive. Said I would reveal he'd had a daughter by a hooker if he didn't. I was bluffing. I had no idea where Decadence had gone when she left Parlortown. Somehow he found out. Sent me this picture. Said he found his daughter, and he'd have her and her family killed unless I turned my operation over to his people. Which is why you hired us to find her for you. To protect her. That's nonsense. Then why would I have hired you ladies? Because you knew Stella was running Mama Wang's. It was all about turning us and the widow against each other. You set up the raid at Mama's just after Stan delivered the corpse. You shut down Mama's, and all business goes to the widow. You knew my past, knew I was the revenge type after that. Either we kill the widow, taking care of your other problem, or she kills us. 
Either way, South Tip prostitution gets a little more hush-hush, and you're fighting corruption while pocketing the bank. Sounds like things are getting better every day for you, Mr. Mayor. Unfortunately for you, this information is never going to leave this room. Oh, really? Really. You don't have a single, solitary shred of evidence on me. All you've got is the word of a criminal, and I doubt she's going to want to come forward. The worst you can do is reveal my bastard children, but if you want them to live, I wouldn't recommend it. I suggest you take the money I've brought you and keep your goddamn mouth shut. I'll go back to my office, she can go back to her business, and you two can go back to whatever the hell it is your type do. Why, Glass? Why did it have to go down like this? You think I enjoy it? You think I like being mayor of this disgusting pit? I've been trying to get out of this hole since I fell into it. This place just keeps sucking me in. It won't let me escape. This time it's going to be different. This time I can make a play for governor, maybe even senate. I'm going to leave this cesspool behind me. I don't think so. Stella brought up the widow's handgun still in her handkerchief and shot glass between the eyes. The widow leapt to her feet. Jesus Christ! You shot him? I told you, it's what we do. If you don't want to join him, I'd beat it. You're... you're letting me go? You'll get yours. Now go. The widow hurried out of the office as fast as possible, leaving the two detectives, the dead mayor and his unconscious bodyguards, alone in the office. We've got to get out of town, Mace. You're not kidding. They're already going to be looking for us. But Stella, you did the right thing. He was a scumbag. People need to know what he did. They're not gonna. What? He was right. We've got nothing on him. Just like with you and Cross, I just killed the most beloved man in Parlor Town. It's murder, plain and simple. They want a story, they got one. Let me just make a call. Stella picked up the phone and dialed. McGinnis! Hey, Jules. Remember that thing that kept you from going after the widow in the Miss Vera Maison X case? Uh, you mean the mayor? Won't be a problem anymore. Just thought you'd like a heads up. Might be a shocking headline tomorrow. How shocking are we talking here, Stell? Killer Dyke Slaughter Hero Mayor. <laughs> I suggest you go along with it when they ask about us. We were always bad news. Criminals through and through. Stella. We'll miss you, Jules. Keep Parlor Town safe. As Stella hung up the phone and looked over at Macy, she had no idea what the future held. For the duo or for Parlor Town. She didn't know that as the city vilified her and her lover, public pressure would come down hard on crime. She didn't know that McGinnis would do so well for himself taking down the widow that in three years' time he'd make his own successful play for the mayorship. She didn't know that their beloved city was taking its first painful, bloody steps towards a return into the light. All she knew was that she was with Macy, and that it was only together that they could forge ahead. So, where do we go now? Out of the country. Europe, I'd say. I still have some contacts in France from working with Cross. I can probably get us set up there. France, huh? Hey, uh... How do you say I love you in French? Je t'aime. Thanks. I love you too. The End In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Jane Vance was Ava Rosenblatt, Mayor Robert Glass was Ryan Loranger. Stan was Justin Ha. Officer Bopko was Elijah Weberhan. Father Bly was Charles Berman. The Widow was Sarah Doan. And Julian McGuinness was Rich Bellin. The theme song was by Michael. Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. And uh, I will miss the ladies. Uh, not all of the ladies in general. I mean, specifically Macy and Stella. And of course, I'll miss Parlor Town. I'm glad it's in good hands with Jules. Um, so zipping right along, uh, let's get right to Rory's segment. Rory, you have three weeks worth of 
this day in history for us, correct? Yes, that is correct. Hopefully you all enjoy it. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On May 3rd, 1947, Japan's post-war constitution goes into effect. The progressive constitution granted universal suffrage, stripped Emperor Hirohito of all but symbolic power, stipulated a bill of rights, abolished peerage, and outlawed Japan's right to make war. Let's listen. Wow, there's a lot of things we can't do anymore in this constitution. Ooh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's no peerage. I can't be a peer anymore. And that was one of my big... <sighs> Highlights in life, you know, being a peer, getting to park in the peer parking space. But, oh man, and what's this? Helmets? You've got to be freaking kidding me! Look, I'm a freaking samurai. I don't need to put up with this garbage. I'm going to ride my motorcycle right here to my work, which I have to do now because I can't be a peer, and there's nothing you can do about it. Not wearing a helmet, no sir. Fine. Jeez. Unfortunately, that samurai did die shortly thereafter, because since he wasn't wearing a helmet, uh, other Japanese people dropped giant things on his head. When riding a motorcycle, one should always wear a helmet. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On May 10th, 1994, in South Africa, Nelson Mandela is sworn in as the first black president of South Africa. In his inaugural address, Mandela, who spent 27 years of his life as a political prisoner of the South African government, declared that the time for the healing of the wounds has come. Let's listen. Everyone, I'm so honored that you managed to pick me as your president, as I stand here on this podium in front of all of these people. Hey, did you see Nelson Mandela 27 years ago? Yeah, man. He was so white then. What happened? Well, he was a political prisoner for so long, and they had him working out in the sun, and man, if you spend too much time in the sun, you can really burn. Just you should you use some sort of protection. You get all brown and stuff. Someone should give him some sunscreen. Four score and eight year ago. Does anyone else feel a little hot? Ooh. The sun's so bright today. Anyway... As I'm sure you can tell, uh, the racist uh, audience members were completely incorrect. Nelson Mandela had always been black. However, one should never stay out in the sun so long, as it does give you a wicked sunburn. This is Rory Sinjin on This Day in History, WHRW Binghamton. Welcome to WHRW's This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. On May 17, 1954, in a major civil rights victory, the U.S. Supreme Court hands down a unanimous decision in Brown v. the Board of Education of Topeka, ruling that racial segregation in public education facilities is unconstitutional. Well, my son, now you can go to school with children of all colors. So have a good day in school, and when you come back, I've left lunch for you on the table right next to my revolver. That's great, Daddy. Oh, cool, a gun. I'll bring this to show and tell. Enjoy. One horrible gun massacre later. And that's how the gun works. My bits. I'm proud of you, son. Any questions? There were, of course, no questions. And, of course, no other students left either. Keep your guns out of the reach of your children for their own safety and the safety of others. This is This Day in History on WHRW, a Binghamton. That reminds me of a story. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Gaston Wax. And once upon a time, on an extremely sunny day, I was riding a bicycle with no helmet while holding a pistol. You might think this was unwise for many reasons, and in fact it was, but it wasn't until I met Nelson Mandela, who was in town for a speaking engagement, even though at the time he was still a prisoner, that I realized the error of my ways. Nelson Mandela said to me, Listen, Mr. Sinjin, for he knew me by name. It's a long story. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And I looked at what I was doing, you know, being out in the sun, no sunblock, being riding a bike, no helmet, using a gun when I'm only a child, and I realized he was right. One of those things was absolutely something I should not have been doing. 
But Mr. Mandela, I said to him, it's so much fun. Well, Mr. Sinjin, you might not feel the same way when you have cancer, a cracked head, and a bullet in the skull. And I realized, you know, that's a good point. Two of them, maybe I could get by with three. No, no, definitely not something good. Mr. Sinjin Nelson said, unfortunately, I have to go back to prison now, so I hope that you've learned your lesson. And I said, yes, 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 I have. I will never ride a bike with a pistol and no helmet in the sun with no sunblock ever again. You can absolutely count on that. And he said, if I've changed one boy's life, I can know that I'm doing the right thing and go back to prison a happy man. And that's the story of how I inspired Nelson Mandela. This is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Oh, that was very interesting. A rare uh, inside look. Look into your personal life, your personal history. Yes, um, you know, should, we should really pick things up. I really don't want to talk about it long because Frank is waiting for us. Since when do you give a crap about Frank? You hate him. You guys get into arguments all the time. Yes, but again, Jordan, he's in jail. You know, uh, this is serious. Uh, you know, gosh, maybe I just don't think that Frank's plight's that big of a deal for us. Look, I don't know. Uh, this is just something we're going to have to wrestle with. Um, well, speaking of Frank, you're going to get your chance to hear Frank's voice anyway, um, because we're doing Tractor Fiction. This is the last episode of Tractor Fiction, which features some very special debaters who I'm sure you will all recognize as soon as you hear them. If not, smack yourself in the face. You're an idiot. Well, that's not very nice either. No, okay, Rory, what are you, the conscience of the show all of a sudden? Okay. Before we get to this, I do want to mention it's an extremely offensive episode, not because of the debates and not anything that we said, but, you know, Jack Chick is a complete moron, and this is as wrong as wrong can be. So brace yourself. Here you go. Hello, uh, and thank you for listening. This is the final, last, ultimate episode of Tractor Friction. My name is Frank Allen, and you're listening to WHRW Binghamton. This is a very special tract. Uh, we, we're really going to let some of uh, some of Jack Chick's real uh, real thoughts come out and shine this time. It's very, very interesting stuff, and I'm sure possibly educational one way or the other. Uh, so let's get right to it. This is called Holocaust. Today, in a USA just like the USA you see in the world you live in, a group of neo-Nazis were holding a giant rally, celebrating their hateful white supremacist heritage. A crowd had gathered to watch and dislike them. Here they come. Man, things are going to blow higher than a kite if the Jewish Defense League shows up. Hey, you Nazi nuts. You go back to Germany. Grandfather, this isn't good for you to see. Let's go home. No! What's the problem here? He was in Nazi concentration camps. Bob, could you give us a ride home? You filthy Christian swine! Grandpa, shh. Not so loud. Please, Grandpa, get into the car. Hey, did you hear what that old man said? Yeah, and he's looking to get his face rearranged, squash Jinker. Please, sit in the back seat, Mr. Weiss. Oh, he called us swine. Isn't he the Jew? Ding. Bob accompanied Mr. Weiss and his granddaughter home and stayed for tea. It was over this tea that they had a very interesting conversation. <laughs> my mother and father, my sisters and baby brother, all destroyed. Gassed and burned in the ovens. Oh, what? And now they tell us it never happened. Never happened! My God! Six million Jewish people are on fire. Has the world gone mad? And now I see it coming again. Grandfather, you never talked about this before. Why are you talking about this now? Those tortoise-slothing Nazis brought it back up. Somebody has to speak up. I've kept silent for so long. You're right, Mr. Weiss. There are things that must be told. And the truth about World War II has been covered up for too long. What? 
You know something I don't? I was in the camps! I saw it! It was a living hell! So what do you know? You weren't there. I was the other star. I was in the Holocaust! Mr. Weiss, you were in an Inquisition! A what? And in all probability, you will experience another Inquisition being set up right here in the U.S. My God! Are you mad? No, Mr. Weiss. Let me explain. The Inquisition in Europe was masterminded by the Jesuits. Only this time, instead of Dominican monks, the Vatican used Gestapo wearing Nazi uniforms. I heard rumors in the camps, but I never believed them. The Inquisition changed its methods when Germany and the Vatican lost the war. But rest assured, the mask will come off once again. How do you know this? It is a documented fact that the Gestapo was run by the Jesuits, and that Hitler was a faithful Roman Catholic simply following the laws set forth in the Council of Trent. I can't believe this! Why was this not told? This was known by key people in Europe, but the story has been killed by the U.S. press because of Catholic pressure. What is this Council of Trent that you speak of? Pope Paul III in 1545 set up a council to establish laws for the Roman Catholic institution and to stop the spread of Protestant Christianity. The laws established in the Council of Trent established who was a heretic, and history shows they legally slaughtered heretics to clean the land. As the Second Vatican Council commenced in 1963, Pope John XXIII declared, I do accept entirely all that has been decided and declared at the Council of Trent. According to the Council of Trent, if you say by faith that you have assurance of your salvation, you are a heretic. If you believe that you don't go to purgatory because Christ forgave you and paid the price for your sins completely, you are a heretic. If you believe confession to a priest is not necessary for salvation, but is merely a man-made concept, you are a heretic. If you believe the Eucharist, consecrated bread, used in Mass is not the true blood, body, soul, and deity of Jesus Christ, you are a heretic. If you believe that those who worship Jesus in the form of the Eucharist, consecrated bread, are idolaters, you are a heretic. Mr. Weiss, Adolf Hitler was never excommunicated as a Catholic for his crimes against the Jews. Instead, the Vatican considered him to be a hero. Listen to what a Catholic newspaper in Spain said about Hitler the day he died. Adolf Hitler, son of the Catholic Church, died while defending Christianity. It is therefore understandable that words cannot be found to lament over his death, when so many were found to exalt his life. Over his mortal remains stands his victorious moral figure, with the palm of the martyr. God gives Hitler the laurels of victory. You see, Mr. Weiss... Germany signed a concordat in 1933, and according to Catholic law, the Council of Trent gave Hitler the authority to put the Inquisition into effect and slaughter Jews and non-Catholics alike to purge the land of heretics. Adolf Hitler said, I'm Charlton Heston, and I'll be playing Hitler, even though I did play Moses in the Ten Commandments. As for the Jews, I'm just carrying on the same policy which the Catholic Church has adopted for over 1,500 years, in addition to drinking wine and booze. When I use guns, I regard the Jews as dangerous, because they don't have guns, and I push them into the ghettos. Then I gunned them down with booze because I knew what the booze was like. I mean, Jews were like, I've also got Alzheimer's. Where's my pancakes? As early as 1212 by papal edict, Jews were required to wear a distinctive badge, were forbidden to hold public office, etc., etc. You're wrong, Bob. There can't be another inquisition. The Pope is a man of peace. 
I was told the Vatican had changed back in the 60s as a result of the Vatican II Council. Aren't they supposed to love Protestants and Jews now? No, Ruth. It was all a big deadly game. Pope John XXIII put on a religious show and called it the Vatican II Council. They claimed to have made tremendous changes, but it's the same system under a new coat of paint. The Office of the Inquisition is still alive and well, under a new name. Today, the Vatican is a tremendous political and religious power. It has one billion citizens and controls the wealth of the world. Its goals are to make America Catholic, to set up diplomatic relations, destroy our constitution, negotiate a concordat, and work through our legal system, which would make it possible to purge the U.S. of all Protestant and non-Catholic opposition. They can't do that, Bob! They are already doing it, Ruth. The opinions of a nation are influenced and molded by its media and press. The U.S. media is very pro-Catholic. For example, even as more child molesting priests are exposed, the Catholic Church, with the media's help, maintains that relatively few priests were involved. At the same time, Protestants that speak out are portrayed as narrow-minded bigots. As a result of these pressures, pastors avoid the subject of Catholicism. The Vatican II Council was so effective that long ago, the Catholic Jesuit publication America claimed, Today in 1960, we have virtually ceased to be Protestant. Yes! Catholic America is almost a reality. Since the time of George Washington, the Vatican has pushed to put their people in key positions. Catholics are a major force in Congress. Ronald Reagan's administration was called the most Catholic in U.S. history. Bill Clinton was indoctrinated at Jesuit Georgetown University. Government's friendly policies attract millions of Catholic immigrants. One congressman estimates as many as 100,000 illegally cross just one segment of our southern border monthly. Well, it looks like they're accomplishing their goal. Catholic-controlled media deliberately downplayed the appointment of an American ambassador to the Vatican to prevent strong Protestant opposition. The last wall of defense to keep the U.S. from signing a concordat was removed. The signing of a concordat probably will be done in top secret, without public knowledge, making Catholicism the only recognized religion in the United States. But, uh, what about our uh, constitution? In the 1980s, the states were asked to vote on calling a constitutional convention to change our constitution. Fortunately, it failed on a close vote. If it had been called, the entire Constitution would have been open to change without a vote of the general public. The last Constitutional Convention was in 1787. The intention was only to strengthen the Articles, but they ended up scrapping the original and rewrote the entire Constitution. Fortunately, the interests of our Protestant fathers was to strengthen our freedoms. But what would happen today? Before an Inquisition, there must always be Catholic tribunals set up to record the names of those under suspicion. Those tribunals have already been installed in Catholic churches worldwide. The trap is set, Mr. Weiss. Time is running out. <sighs> well, how did they fight it during the Reformation? Back then... The people knew the Vatican was the whore of Revelation 17. When the man of God preached this, the Vatican lost its control. But today, Christians ignore history. What will stop the Vatican? Jesus Christ will stop it. Jesus hates this false system because of her crimes against his church. Throughout history, the Vatican has murdered millions of true Christians for their testimony 
and for the word of God, it will continue to do so. The Roman Catholic institution is the whore of Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, and Jesus has promised to destroy her and all those within her. But because of his love, Jesus gives this command, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. Like most people, Mr. Weiss, you have been led to believe that the Roman Catholic system is a Christian church. It isn't, and it never has been. The Pope falsely claims to represent Christ, deceiving almost one billion people through a false religion. Uh, the reason that I never accepted Jesus as the Messiah is because those who claim to be his followers always treated me so cruelly. But it seems that I've been wrong. Mr. Weiss, a true Christian is one who has heard the gospel, repented of his sins, and received Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. A true Christian would never kill nor harm anyone in the name of Jesus. He realizes that Jesus came to lay down his life and raise it up again to fulfill Bible prophecy. And in obedience to the Lord, he shares the good news that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Bob continues talking nonstop for the next ten minutes. Apparently, he says something persuasive, because... Oh, I know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Bob, I have such peace in me heart, because I know that he is in control of my life now. That's right, Mr. Weiss. Jesus promised that he would never leave us or forsake us, and that he would be with us always, even unto the end of the world. I'm so excited, Bob. <laughs> Jesus is my Messiah. I want everybody to know the truth. Mr. Weiss, world events point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us that when we saw these things come to pass, to look up, for our redemption draws near. Praise God. I'm ready. And, uh, that's the tract. Okay, as always, we do have a debate. Um, this time... We've got a couple of uh, special debaters here uh, for your debatatorial pleasure for the very last episode ever of Tractor Fiction and the last debate ever. Here we go. Uh, debater number one, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name's Jordan. I am the creator of Tractor Fiction, and I used to be the host. I was the host for about one and a half episodes. Thank you for coming back. You do a nice job producing. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like the show. I'm glad that you do it. Well, we're not... Gonna do it anymore, but that's thank thank you for saying that. And debater number two. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin. I am the uh, host and creator of the program This Day in History, which also appears on the Welcome to the Waxworks show. Welcome, Rory. I know we've we've had our disagreements in the past, but thank you for coming on. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. And of course, I forgive and forget all of the uh, things you've said, but uh, hopefully, you can make up for it by by making me win this debate. Well, I that would be that would be sort of. Oh, unfair. Uh, and against the spirit of the... Oh, well, of course. ...of the debate. But there you are. As I'm sure you all know, Jordan here believes that this tract is false, and Rory believes this tract is 100% true. Uh, no, as always, uh, Jordan, you get to go first because you're attacking. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Uh, first of all, let me just say, this tract is completely ridiculous. When I mean, we do this show, Tractor Fiction, because top secret... Everything Jack Chick says is pretty stupid and ridiculous. Uh, this tract is exceptionally so. This guy goes on and on about this total nonsense about the Holocaust. The Vatican had nothing to do with the Holocaust. They didn't mastermind the Holocaust. Hitler wasn't Catholic. He, he was a Protestant and he killed 
Catholic. For example, uh, he talks about this uh, this Jesuit magazine saying that today in 1960 we have virtually ceased to be Protestant. If if his evidence for Catholics taking over the country comes from 1960, I think he's a little uh, behind the times. Because if you ask me, it looks much more like born agains and Baptists are taking over the country, considering that's. That's the that's who our president is. I mean, we just had a Catholic run against a, a, a Protestant for president, and the the Catholic was beaten by a narrow margin. But it was he was beaten. 1960. You're you're talking about the era when JFK was being rising, coming up into his own. Of course, Catholics were doing all right then. Since then, we have had no Catholic presidents, and before that, we had no Catholic presidents. They're doing a lousy job. Granted, it said, "Oh, Reagan was the most was the most Catholic thing." He wasn't a Catholic, so that's nonsense. I mean, Catholic America is a reality. I mean, he—he's obviously delusional. He's obviously paranoid. He thinks that they are trying to take over the world. I think he gives them way too much credit. Don't get me wrong; I am no fan of the Vatican, but uh, I don't think that this is true. I mean, Chick is talking nonsense. All right, those are some uh, those are some strong words, some strong allegations there. Uh, Rory, would you like to respond? Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Frank. No, in fact, you're absolutely incorrect. I am, of course, a historian, and I not only am a historian of what actually happened in our reality, but I'm a histor- historian of what happened in many different alternate realities. I, My program, This Day in History, we explore what happened this day in history, but sometimes the history that we're talking about is not the history of our world. Sometimes the history is the history of other similar realities. For example, we we once did one about the tragedy of the Titanic. And while the tragedy did still occur, instead of them dying because the boat sank, they died because they all drank every drop of salt water that was on the ship due to hitting the iceberg. Uh, All of these things are very true and real, although they're just true and real for a slightly different reality. So this tract is absolutely 100% true. The Catholics are, in fact, the masterminds behind the Nazi invasion. Are you saying they are the masterminds behind the the, the Holocaust in our reality? Oh, in another reality. No, yes, in another reality. That's what I'm saying. You see, if you can see across different dimensions like I can and study the, the the history books of the other dimensions, you'll see there is an alternate reality in which the Pope himself actually is literally, literally the Antichrist. So so if you if you look at this, um, it's it's absolutely true. This whole thing about, you know, this newspaper clip about Hitler being a good Catholic... It's absolutely true. He was a Catholic. No, he see, was you know what? <laughs> never excommunicated. They okay, love him listen to for me. what he did. You know, th- th- I mean, this is, first of all, we're only talking about our world. We're talking about whether this tract is true here, here in our world. And the answer is no, it's not. This Council of Trent, they're doing this thing about uh, the Council of Trent. I, I, I haven't done the exact research on this, but I think that the Council of Trent stuff that they have in this tract is taken from a Jeff Foxworthy routine. It was originally, if you if you say by faith that you have assurance of your salvation, you might be a redneck. No, that's if you believe that you oh. don't go to purgatory because Christ forgave and paid the price for your sin completely, you okay. might be a redneck. I think it's your, you are a heretic. No, I know that's what it is in the tract, but I'm saying I think that this was actually a Jeff Foxworthy bit. And they stole it, and they put it in this tract, which is, makes it even less believable. I don't think that's actually true. If you if you know uh, this day on this day in history, right now, the day that the listener is listening to this, Jeff Foxworthy did not ever write that. That's just what the, that doesn't prove a single thing. It actually proves quite a bit. No, it doesn't prove okay, anything. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Actually, we do have a caller on the line who who does want to uh, an expert, so to speak, who wants to say a few things about this. Expert. Hi. <laughs> oh, hi. Um, this is uh. Scapey? Absolutely, it's Scapey. Um, I just wanted to call to be on the radio. Um, 
Did you? Because your dad's on the radio? Yeah. Hi, Skate. Uh, it's good to hear from you. Are you here to say how right I am that this track is false? Um, well, I don't, I don't really know. I wasn't, I wasn't really yesterday. You weren't right. Well, I think you should say that this track is false anyway, because you know I'm smart and, and I'm right. Well, you are. You're pretty smart. Uh, however, I should point out that if you, if you uh, say that I'm right, I'll, I'll give you uh, lots of moist food and treats. Oh, <laughs> oh Dad. This guy is going to give me treats. Can you... Can you back off of my son, please? He's not actually a son. He's actually a cat. Shut your mouth. <laughs> he's my son. He's, well, he's my, he's my dad, but he's like an adopted dad. Okay, uh, this is getting a little off topic. Scape, what do you have to say about the Holocaust and these things? The, the what? Hol- Holocaust. It's, uh, there was these guys called the Nazis. They were very bad, and uh, they killed a lot of, a lot of uh, Jewish people. Uh, what's Jewish people? Jewish people. Jewish people, escape are people like, you know, who believe in Judaism. I don't know what that means. But look, I kill a lot of things. I kill a lot of f- flies and demons. And if I had, like, some some mouses, I would kill them. And some birds, I would kill them. So killing is all right. You could bite them and shake them and kick, kick, kick them, kick them. So I don't know what's so bad about killing. No, 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 no. It's like, this would be like killing another cat. I could kill another cat if I wanted to. If I was, if another cat was like, oh, I'll fight you. I would be like, oh, you think you can fight me? I will kill you. All right, no, hold on, escape, escape. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, all right, no, no, listen, now this is preposterous, all right? I happen to know. I've spoken to the Antichrist Pope of the other dimension. You're making that up. You're making that up. How can we know that these other dimensions even exist? Well, I am a scholar, and I have a number of degrees. No, you don't have an... This guy is full of macaroni and cheese. He's lying. Macaroni and cheese? Yeah, I don't understand what that means. It doesn't... Look, the point is he's lying. Dad, he's going to give me treats. What are you trying to do? Are you you trying to make me not get treats? Come on. It's not not about treats. Okay, Scape? Then what's it about? Look, it's, here's what it's no, about. Here's hold what on, it's about. No, 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 no. Just hold, hold on. A, no, I you hold you on. Just, I, w- I wanted to say. No, no. I did just want to say. Look, this is what it's about, okay? When I started Tractor Fiction, I thought this would be a funny way to take this guy whose ideas are silly and that I can't even believe he, he could believe them, but he apparently does, and put them in a, in a public forum because... I wanted to mock him. I wanted to make fun of him. None, like none of this. Okay, for example, here we go. Here we go. The the Jewish gentleman, Mr. Weiss. At the end, he converts. I mean, he could, first of all, the fact that the Jewish guy converts to Christianity is nonsense. Second of all, the fact that the reason I never accepted Jesus as the Messiah is because those who claim to be his followers treated me so cruelly. That's it. That's the only thing. Like, there's no. I mean, Christianity and. Judaism, they're practically the same, right? The only difference is he just didn't want to go that extra inch going, and Jesus, and Jesus. He didn't want to say that. He didn't want to say, and Jesus, because because other people who said, and Jesus, were mean to him. No, I'm sorry. There's a big difference between Christianity and Judaism. Well, actually, uh, now that you mention it, I should say that there isn't in certain realities. In certain realities, they're the same. I'm not talking about other... This one, this one, this one. Yeah, but I'm just saying. I just wanted to let that out there. Fine. It's out there. Fine. All right. But my point is, one of the fundamental problems with chick tracts is that they're just so easily swayed. People are just sitting there going, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Christ. And then somebody walks up and says, uh, are you sure? Because guess what? This is the Bible. It was written by God and it says he's God. And they go, what? Serious? 
Oh my! Well, I, I'm in. I happen to know that that's quite. That's actually what happens quite a bit you're, of the time. You're, you're full of. You're full of it again. You're full of it again. I'm not full of it again. This is true. All right, guys. Uh, Scape. Thank you for calling in. I think we're gonna have to let you go. Oh, but do I still get? Do I still get the treaties? That's what really matters. Um, I'm only going to give you treaties if you actually helped me win. Oh, come on, come on. Scape. I'll just scape. I'll I'll give you treaties either way. Yeah. Well, I still want him to win because then you both give me treaties. I'm not okay. Fine. I'm not gonna give you treaties if I lose. Ah. But like I said, we do have to let you go. All right. I'll see you later, Dad. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's do our closing arguments. Uh, Jordan, again, you get to start us off. Thanks. All right. Look, I started Tractor Fiction because I knew these things were all false. I put in the debate as kind of a gag because I thought it would be funny to force people to argue for Chick. I mean, I don't even think you need to argue against Chick. You just, if you, if you put him out there, anyone with a brain is going to say, this is nonsense. This is false. None of the arguments he gives are, are any good. I can do it just as well as he could. For example, watch this. This episode of Trek Fiction Holocaust is false. The reason I know it's false is because Jack Chick himself was behind the Holocaust, not the Catholic Church. A newspaper once said about Jack Chick, a newspaper in Holland said, Jack Chick is the Antichrist uh, and we love him because he killed the Jews. Okay, now none of the things I just said are true, but that, I mean, is that an effective argument? Because I don't think it is. Well, well, it could be. It could be. We'll see. We'll see who wins the actual uh, the actual debate. Uh, Rory, now you get to answer. Thank you, Frank. Let me just say, if you know as much about the universe as I do, you don't have such a limited outlook as to see what is real and what is false in one world. One world is so not even close to all there is. There's there's many, many worlds. And if all reality, all possibility is true. So by that standard, this tract is true. Well, but what if we were talking about just this world? If we were limiting ourselves Look, to... If, if we were actually to just stay strictly in our world, is this stuff true? Well, no, of course not. We all know that. You know, I'm a historian. I know the truth. But... If we were to say, open it to the realm of all possibility, then yes, this is absolutely 100% correct. And I think that based on that technicality, you need to give me this debate. All right. Well, thank you for uh, your arguments, my friends. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard call, but okay. It's a hard call, but I must say uh, we are talking about our reality when we talk about this oh, show. come now. And as such, I have to give it to Jordan. Thank you. For Christ's sake. Thank you. As such, that means this tract is false. And by proxy, uh, through his his arguing uh, of this and that he is right, all the tracts we've ever done are retroactively made false. Uh, sometimes the, the, the person arguing for the tract would be in favor and would win, I mean. And uh, apparently they were wrong. Because all of Jack Chick's tracks are false, according to this debate. Uh, so thank you for oh, that's listening. Ridiculous. Thank you for listening. And uh, and Jordan, did you want to say goodbye? Uh, yeah. Thanks. You know, thanks, Frank. It's been a blast doing the show with you. I only I only can hope that we didn't accidentally convert anyone to Jack Chick Christianity in doing it. Uh, thank you for listening to Tractor Fiction. This is the end of the series. Don't worry, I Frank Allen will be back next semester with an all new show. But Tractor Fiction is no more. That 
episode of Tractor Fiction featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Rich Bellin, Anna Call, Scott Finbow, Lynn Nelson, Sam Thomason, Jacob Thompson, Rory Sinjin, Jordan D. White, and Skate White. That was a good show, Tractor Fiction. It was a lot of fun. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, this is, I, I was not really involved in any of the, the episodes except for this one. That's true. That's true. I mean, uh, yeah, the only problem with it is, like I said, if it, if it made one person turn over to Jesus, that sort of breaks my heart. Well, that's a bit heavy of a thing to say. Well, no, but it's true. I, I, I mean, I really don't want to have convinced anyone that Jesus is the way to go. I, he's not. And Ch- and Chick is is as crazy as they come. So anybody who believes the things that he says, all right, well, let's not rehash the whole debate, shall we? Oh, okay, all right. Um, we do have one more thing, which is a scapy story. Scapy, are you ready for this? Of course, I'm ready. This is gonna be great. It was, I remember recording it. It was awesome. It was. It was pretty good. We're in the middle of Act Four of Hamlet. Uh, we're not in the middle of Act Four. We're in the middle of Hamlet, and we're about to. We, oh, here, here, scapy stories. Scapy stories from a cat and a dog. Hello and welcome to Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark. My name is Jordan D. White, and I am here to introduce the uh, the story. Uh, this is a show in which my cat Scape tells scary stories to people. Uh, we're in the middle of a special sequence in which he is telling the most famous ghost story of all time, probably Hamlet, to uh, a series of people. We're, we're in the midst of it. Uh, we're about to do Act Three of Hamlet, but first uh, we wanted to catch everybody up on what happened last time. So to tell us what happened last time on Hamlet, we have with us our good friend, Good Hitler. Good Hitler, please. Thank you, Good. Now, in Act 3 of Hamlet, one of my favorite acts of Hamlet, there is a great deal of talking, and of course, it starts out with the idea that Hamlet and Polonius are going to hide on stage, possibly behind a picture of a naked lady, and Ophelia is going to talk to Hamlet, and Hamlet is pretending to be crazy, and he's like, oh, Ophelia, why don't you become a nun? And she's like, well, maybe I will. (laughs) And then there is a play, which is not very good, and Hamlet talks all through it. (laughs) And finally, Claudius is so mad about people talking in his play that he just storms out and prays a little bit, but he can't play. It's sort of ironic. No, 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 you forgot the part. He got mad at the play because he killed his brother. Well, yes, I assume that's also part of the reason. It probably contributes to his overall feelings of anxiety. But more importantly, Hamlet and his mother are going to have a secret talk, but Polonius is possibly in a comically large pot, peeking out on occasion to listen. And then, while they're talking, Hamlet gets very angry because his mom is sort of dense and doesn't get that he feels she shouldn't be dating other people now that his dad is dead. And so the queen cries out, oh no, I am so scared. And then Polonius, because he's such a coward, is like, oh no, help me, I am so scared too. And Hamlet is like, oh, stab! And except he doesn't stab his mother, that would be entirely inappropriate. He stabs Polonius, which is sort of funny and tragic, I suppose. But now they need to dispose of the body and then a ghost comes in who Hamlet can see and his mom can't. And the ghost is like, oh, Hamlet, why don't you stop bothering your mother so much? I still love her a great deal. Maybe you should get over it too. Find a nice girl like Ophelia and settle down or something to that effect. And then Hamlet needs to go to England at the order of his uncle with his friends, Rosenkrantz and Guildenstern. That's about it, right? Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. So now, Scapey, are you ready to continue the uh, the story? You did interrupt our good uh, Hitler there. Well, he was saying it wrong because he, he kept thinking it's funny, but it isn't funny. Well, yeah, but okay, but different people have different opinions. No, it's not about opinions. He's just wrong. Well, hey, maybe, but okay, look, th- let's just get to it now. Uh, you have a story to tell to our guest.
guest here who has been almost unnaturally quiet because he's not really all that natural of a person um, or much of a person at all, right? Uh, your name is? My name is Jordan Robot. I'm a robot of you, Jordan. Yes, and it, I got to tell you, it makes me incredibly uncomfortable to have you here, but it makes me happy to be here because Scapey is the best. Oh, thank you, thank you. And that's, oh, okay. You are weird, but whatever. Scape gets to pick his guests and you're you're leaving as soon as this is over. Yes, of course I am. You are. I agreed with you. Well, good. All right. Um, Scapey, uh, go ahead. The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark by William Shakespeare. Act four. Okay, so like once upon a time, uh, all that stuff that Hale said it happened, but then, right? Then the king and queen are like, uh, hey, what's up? And Rosecrans and Goldenstone are like, nothing. And the, and the queen's like, well, you're wrong, something is up. Howard killed Baronius. So you guys should have figured out what happened by now, but he did. And the king's like, well, where'd he go? And she's like, he's, I don't know, he took the body. I don't know where he went. He was freaking out and he took the body. And the king's like, all right, Rosecrans and Goldenstone, find him. And find that body. And he's like, well, okay, I guess we will. So Rosecrans and Goldenstone go, and they find Hamlet, and they're like, Hamlet, where is the dead guy? And Hamlet's like, I, I, I hit him. Yeah. And they're like, well, why? What did you What did you do with him? And he's like, are you guys douches? And, and they're like, well... I don't think we are. I think that they are douches. Well, yeah, because uh, they are douches. And Hamlet knows, because Hamlet is like, you guys are douches, turns out, and here's why. Because the king is like, hey, do this, and you're like, okay, that is means douche. And they're like, I don't get it. And he's like, well, you said, a douche, do you know? Okay. They are clearly douches. They are clear, yes, they are clearly douches. Um, okay, so, they're like, just tell us, can you just, Hamlet, just tell us where the body is, and he's like, uh, well, I don't know, it's with the king. And they're like, what about the king? The king wants to talk to you. And he's like, whatever, king is a wiener. And they're like, okay. So they go to the king. And the king is like, what, what, what's going on? What do you want? And they're like, we got Hamlet here. We don't have the body, but we've got Hamlet. Do you want to talk to him? And the king's like, yeah, just bring him in. And Hamlet's like, hey. And the king's like, hey, where is Peronius? And he's like, well, he's getting eaten by bugs and worms and gross because he's dead. Did you know about that? And he's like, yeah, I know he's dead, but where? And he's like, well, did you know that sometimes kings could get eaten by zombies? That's true. Kings can be eaten by zombies. Yeah, and that's what they were talking about. I don't believe that they do mention zombies in Hamlet. No, but the sentiment is there. Perhaps the sentiment is there. But I believe the metaphor is about beggars eating kings, not because they are undead creatures, but because they eat a fish which fed on a worm, which fed on a king. Yeah, yeah but that, why would a worm eat a king? It would have to be a really big worm. That is one possibility. If it were, I guess if it was like a giant worm, okay? Like the biggest worm, like bigger than a dude, and the worm's just like, ah, and he eats the king, and then there's like a really, really giant fish, okay, that eats a worm, and then... Somehow, the people shoot the giant fish, and then, like, they go, Hooray! We can eat forever because this fish is giant, and we can all eat the meat. And they all eat the meat, and then, turns out, spoiler, they eat a little bit of the king, too, by accident, because he's still inside. And so when they're cutting up the meat, they cut off a little piece of the king, 
two, and they eat the king. That's so. That's that. I think that's what it, you're right. It was not zombies, but that's what it is. Giant fish monster. That does take away a bit of the metaphor, but it is possible that that's what they meant. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. So, so he's like, just again, the king's just like, Hamlet, you are just you say all this stupid stuff. Just tell me where the dead body is. And he's like, it's over there. And they're like, okay, go get it. Okay, okay. Hamlet, dude, here's what we gotta do. We gotta send you to England like, really fast because what you did is pretty messed up. And he's like, you want me to go to England? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, well, okay, I guess I'll go to England. Yeah, okay, do. Have it go. And he's like, okay, bye, mother. And he's like, I'm not your mother. I'm your father. And he's like, no, you're not my father. My father's dead. And you're not my mother, I guess, really. But I gotta go. And then he goes. And they're like, bye, okay, bye. And then the king's like, ha, 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 ha. Here's what I'm gonna do. Okay, secret. I'm sending him to England. And I'm gonna tell England to be like, hey, England, when Hamlet gets there, just kind of kill him, okay? Just, you know, just just murder him because I don't like him. So Hamlet is on his way. He's walking over to England and he runs into some military dudes who are like, military, military. This is the guy from from uh, from Norway that we told you about a million years ago. Don't worry about it. And Hamlet's like, hey, where, where are these Norway dudes going? And they're like, oh, we're going to take over part of Poland. And he's like, oh yeah, cool. And they're like, not really, because guess what? Poland sucks! And he's like, well, why do you want it? He's like, because... We just do. And he's like, well, so you're going to fight for a crappy place? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, is Poland going to defend? And they're, he's like, yeah. And they're like, so you're all going to fight about something that sucks that nobody wants? And they're like, yeah, that is what we're going to do. And Hammond is like, wow, that's stupid. And they're like, well, we've got to go. And he's like, okay, I'll be right there. Uh, hey, I just realized, why didn't I kill the king yet? The whole thing was, I was supposed to kill the king, and I didn't. That's true. Hamlet does want to kill the king, and he still has not. Much has been made of his famed hesitance, and many scholars have written papers on why he has not killed the king at this point. Well, Hamlet himself is just really PO'd about it. With good reason. And, and he's like, uh, dudes, from now on, I'll tell you what, from now on, I am going to be all about killing that king. I'm going to be like, hey, I'm going to kill the king today. And if people are like, hey, Hamlet, what's up? I'm like, I'm killing that king. That's what I'm doing. Um, but I guess I should go to England first, because I'm supposed to, so... Okay, I gotta go to England, but I'll be back, and then you know what I'm gonna do is... Can you say... Kill the king. Yes, that is what he wanted you to say. Yes. Sensible. So then, while Hamlet is on his way to England, then Queen is, like, talking to some dude, and the dude's like, Hey, uh, Ophelia is freaking out. Do you remember Ophelia? She's the one that... Everybody thought Hamlet was in love with, and he used to say he loved her, and then when he found out that something bad happened with a ghost, don't tell anybody I told you, but anyway, when he found that out, he was, like, freaked out, and he started saying mean things to her. Do you remember all that? And the queen's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, well, Ophelia is, like, she's kind of spazzing out, okay? She's kind of, like, a little freaked out right now. And and and, and so the queen's like, why? What is she doing? And they're like, she's just, seriously, like, totally mentor and she's like well okay uh i guess send her in and so Ophelia comes in and she's like she looks all freaky and she starts like singing she's like i should hide my tree of dough from another one by his cockle-headed staff and a saddle shoe 
Bravo, Scaby. That is very beautiful. Yeah, but, but there's more. Because then Ophelia, so Queen's like, hey, uh, why are you singing? And Ophelia's like, well, listen to this. Maybe it will tell you. He is dead and gone waiting. He is dead and gone. But he's had a quite great turf. But his heels are still. And the queen's like, I still don't get it. And the fear is like, hey, uh, well, listen to this part then. Tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day, or in the morning, be time. And I'll make it go into the field for time. And we will sit down the court and open a chamber door. But we'll make the ottoman never depart in the heart. Like, isn't by St. Charity, or I can fight for shame. Young you will do it if you come to it, but I can pay on your brain. Before you come with me, you promised me you to ahead. So what I done by all the sun had done not come to my bed. Truly, it is a masterpiece. You are brilliant, Scapey. I know, I know, I know, but there's more, but there's more. I mean, that's the end of the song, but there's more Hamlet, and uh, the king's like, how long has she been this way? And they're like, uh, wait a little while. Do you know, maybe since her father was killed by her lover who rejected her, maybe around that time is when she started freaking out and singing songs that make no sense. And the king's like, oh, well, check her out, follow her, and like, you know, see, see what's up with her, and, you know, that's about that. Oh, man, this is like a totally screwed up situation, Queen. And the Queen's like, yeah. But then they hear something and they're like, what? oh, what's that noise? And somebody comes in and goes, dude, King, Ophelia's brother is outside and he came home from France when he heard his dad died and he's he's PO'd and he wants to know who did it and he thinks maybe it was you. And everybody's like, Laertes, Laertes, he is awesomest. King is the smarriest. King is the smarriest. Laertes should be the new king because he is not as smarry as the king. That's what they're saying basically as a group like a chant. But maybe not those exact, exact words. It seems unlikely that they'd be using those exact words as they seem to be quite difficult to do in simultaneous unison. Well, yeah. So, okay. So, then King it's like, oh no, well, that's not so good. And uh, somebody's knocking at the door. And they go, come in. And it's like, Rarities. And it's like, King, rise up. Who killed my dad? And the king's like, dude, 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 listen. I will tell you everything. Just don't kill me because there's no reason to. Because serious, you'll understand. And he's like, all right, where's my dad? And the king's like, well, he's dead. And the queen's like, he didn't do it. And Laertes is like, just just answer my questions, okay? How did he die, okay? Just tell me that. And they're like, well, listen, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to explain it all very carefully so that you can understand it, okay? So what is it you want to do to the person who killed him? And he's like, I want to kill them double so that they're dead dead. And the king's like, good, okay, that's good. That is what somebody should do when somebody kills their their parents. That is how it's supposed to work. Okay, so let me explain. And then all of a sudden the noise, and they're like, what's all that noise? And guess what? Ophelia comes back in, and Rarities is like, why is my sister like a crazy person? And Ophelia's like, hey, do you want some flowers? How about this flower? How about a, another flower? This is a different one. How about this one? And uh, Rarities is like, I don't want any flowers, so I don't know why you're doing this. And she's like, uh, flowers. And he's like, alright. Uh, she's crazy. So, so she's crazy. And the king's like, yeah, I'm sorry about that, but yeah, she is. But let me explain what happened, and then you'll see it's not my fault, and then, you know, we can work something out. And, and the rarity's just like, alright, I'll listen. Meanwhile, Horatio is hanging out, like, da 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 And 
somebody brings him a letter, and he's like, Horatio, here's a letter. And he's like, what does it say? And they're like, I didn't read it until she reads it. And he goes, dear Horatio, my name's Hamlet. Maybe you remember me. It's been a while, but we were going to England, and some pirates kidnapped me, and uh, basically, uh, we became friends, me and the pirates, and then uh, I'm coming home. So that's the long and short. So I'll see you pretty soon. Bye. And Horatio's like, holy crap. And then back where the king is, the king's like, so now I've explained it all to your Laertes, do you understand? And Laertes is like, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. So, Hamlet did it. Why did you send him to England? And the king's like, because his mom, you know, loves him and stuff, and I didn't want to make a big scene. And Laertes is like, well, that's BS, but okay. And then in comes a messenger going, hey, here's a letter for the king, do you want it? And he's like, yes. And so he opens it and it's like, hey, king, uh, I'm coming to get ya. I mean, see ya, ha <laughs> ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, love Hamlet. And the king's like, what? What the how did Hamlet? I thought I was did the thing with the dead and what is happening? And Laertes is like, he's coming? And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, we gotta kill him. And the king's like, yes. Okay, agreed. Let's kill him. That's a good idea. How do we do it? Here's, okay, I got it. Here's what we do. Laertes, you're like super good at fighting with a sword, right? Yes, he is. Yes. Yeah, you got it. That's what Laertes is like, yes, I am. And he goes, okay, let's have a sword fight and you could kill him. That seems like a reasonable plan. Yeah, but, but, then Laertes is like, that's a good idea, but how about if I put poison on the little edge of my sword? so that if I get him just a little bit, he dies. Ah, that way the victory is assured. Yes, but then the king is like, that's a good idea, but why don't we also poison a drink that we could give him, and then if you don't get him with the sword and you don't get him with the poison, we give him poison drink, too. All right, I suppose that covers a lot of eventualities. Yes, and then Rarities is like, and we'll put a bomb on his butt, and that way if he doesn't drink the drink, his butt will explode too. And the king's like, no, 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 that's too much. That's too much. We'll be fine with the poison drink. And Rarities goes, okay, that's what we'll do. And then all of a sudden, uh, the queen comes in. She goes, guys, uh, Ophelia's dead, so, you know. And they're like, what, what, how, what, what happened? And she goes, she drowned. And they're like, how, how did she drown? What happened? And she's like, well, she was near the water and she fell into the water and then she sunk to the bottom and drowned. And Laertes is like, this is really sucky that this happened. And the king's like, agreed. The end. That is the end of Act 4. Act 5 follows. Yes, but Act 5 is not till next time. That was a very good story, Scapey. I especially liked the parts where you were singing. Thank you, Jordan, for playing the ukulele along with him. Um, you're welcome. I, you make me uncomfortable. Please don't address me directly. I shall try to refrain from addressing you directly. Scapey, I assume you got the scary moral of that story, correct? Yes, of course. There's always, listen, there's always a scary moral, okay? And I always get it. I think the scary moral of Hamlet is going to come out to be... STAY AWAY FROM THE WATER! Hmm. I can see how you might get that inference from Ophelia, but I'm fairly certain that the rest of the play does not adhere to that moral. What do you mean? Ophelia falls in the water and drowns water, and also, from my personal experience, water is sucky. Well, it's good to drink, if it's a little bit, if it's in like a bowl, and you're like, hey, I have a little water. <laughs> Like that, it's okay. But if it's like a big wire and you fall in it, then you get like wet, gross. Then you have to wreck yourself like a million. So stay away from the water, I think, is good advice. Perhaps. 
but that's from anecdotal evidence. The other characters in Hamlet don't encounter water, so I doubt that it's a very significant theme of the work. Hamlet went onto the boat, and there were pirates. So that's bad, so stay away from the water. But the pirates befriended him, or so you said. So it turned out all right for him. Well, okay. Yeah, but okay. No, just listen. Robot, you're a robot. If you go near water, you will die. You will short circuit. This is true. It is especially important that I stay away from water. Yes, and so that is the scary moral. Stay away from the water. Jordan Robot, especially because you're a robot. And if anybody else is near the water while you're near the water, then you electrocute them. So everybody else stay away from the water too. This advice sounds more wise with each passing second. Yes, because you know why? Because it is. Yes, because it is. Exactly. Okay. I'm glad you got it. I'm glad you explained it to me. Thank you. Good. Okay. Uh, that makes me happy. Good. I'm glad everybody's happy, so to speak. Okay. Well, um, thank you all for listening, and thank you for being here, Mr. Robot. It is my pleasure, Jordan Human. You know, that's not my name. That's not my name. Um, Jordan White. Jordan D. White. Of course. But thank you for being here, nonetheless. Um, Scapey, do you want to say anything about the last uh, episode? You've only got one episode of Hamlet left. Uh, what do you What do you want to say about it? Come back next time for the thrilling conclusion of Hamlet, which I'm sure will have lots of skills. And some evil water, maybe. Excellent. I'm glad everybody enjoyed that. Um, I can tell immediately that everyone enjoyed it. I, I don't even need to. Um, don't even need to tell anyone. Okay. I, I just. I'm not doing the best. I'll, I'll be honest with everybody. Okay. Uh, let's let's lay the cards on the table. This is hard work doing this podcast. That's. I mean, that's the reason it takes me so long to do it. Is that it, it is. It's a lot of work, and I, I love it. I absolutely love it with all my my being. But it's just there's so much to be done, and there's so many creative projects out there that I could do. I could record music. I could be writing. I could be doing new serials. But I end up spending so much time on this podcast. I don't have time for it. You know, it's really tough. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you feel that way, Jordan. But it is a really good podcast, and so there is that. Yeah. No. I know. It's it's really good. And like I said, once I recorded it, I I'm I'm very pleased with it. I always love it. So, but now Frank's not here and, you know, he just blew us off. Well, he didn't blow us off. He, he was arrested. Right. But he knew we were supposed to be recording. What's he doing getting arrested on a night when we're supposed to be recording? Well, depending on what he was arrested for, it might not have been a choice he made. You know, it could have been some sort of horrible accident. They don't usually arrest you for horrible accidents unless they're your fault, in which case it was his fault. So I can, I mean, I think it's fair to blame him if he was arrested. If being arrested, it's probably your fault unless they arrest you for something you didn't do. And let's be honest, Frank probably did it. He, I mean, he's, that's the kind of guy he is. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I don't know. I, you know, guys, I, I might have to, I might have to end the podcast. What? But we're almost done with the the shows and everything. No, I mean after, I mean after those. I don't know. I, 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 I might, I might. I might have to. I might have to end it after the shows are done because, you know, it's just there. It's a real big, it's a real big burden. It might come back, but I mean, I think at the very least it needs a, a break. But Jordan, what about all the, you know, I've got all these days in history to talk about and extra history to promote. You know, yes, I'm starting the Queen's Institute, but we still need to recruit more students. Yes, okay, but this is not a, we're not an advertising agency for your, for your college. This is my life that it, it, this is taking over. I just don't think, I don't, don't ask too rashly, okay? I don't, I'm not being rash. I'm, I'm carefully considering this. There's, there's, there's two more shows scheduled and I don't know. I mean, I'll probably do, tell you what, I'm definitely going to do three more shows, two more shows, and then we'll do a grand finale. I, I don't know if there's going to be any more shows after This that. is really not fair, Jordan. This really isn't fair of you to do well, it. I think it is fair. It's my, it's my po podcast. Guys, all right, let's, we're not talking about this right now. Well, when are we going to talk about Some it? Some other time. But right now we've got, you know, we've got, uh, we've got mail. We've got listener mail to, to read and then we've got Scapey's, you know, song to do and stuff like that. So, you know, there's, there's stuff going on. So, uh, Rory, can you read this? If you'd like to write into us, please do. Please, 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 please write into us. Castandwax at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. Write into us. You know, I this might be your your last couple chances to write into us, so please do write into us. Castinwax at gmail.com. Rory, can you read the email we got? Well, yes, all right. Um, Dear Scapey, I really, really loved your rendition of Tori Amos's Silent All These Years. I've always thought it was a nice song. My mom was a huge Tori fan, but it always kind of put me to sleep. Your version is fresh and bouncy. My little cucumber just adores it. She's just starting to walk and figuring out which end of the lockpick to use, and she totally rocked out to it. Have you ever thought about getting into kid rock? Not the singer, I mean rock for little kids. I think being an adorable and cool cat could really work for you there. Anyway, we hope you get a great grade on this latest project happy day dora and hope oh scapey that's not oh scape do you do you even know that's that's a letter from from pandora darling and hope darling uh, her 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 new daughter from we we heard last episode about their their uh their life together that's a letter from them isn't that sweet yeah that is really sweet i love getting letters from my fans so fans if you want to write into me castingrocks at gmail.com that's totally cool yeah, that is totally cool well that's really great to hear from them and i'm glad they're still doing well because uh, it has been a while since we recorded that episode so i'm it's good to know that they're still they're still happy and i guess She's starting to be able to use the lockpick, so that's nice. All right, Scape. Well, we do have one more thing to do before your song, Scape, which is uh, you had to write an essay, right? Yes, I did, which is difficult because I don't have fingers. No, you don't. But I, but I helped you. You said the essay, and I typed it down, right? Yes, yes. And then you memorized it, and now you're going to recite it to to the podcast listeners, correct? Yes, that is what it is. Okay, here is my essay about my final song. Okay, um, so, like, this is my last song for the year, and it's supposed to be, like, the pinnacle of my yearning for the year, and I totally think that it is. If you're wondering why I say that, it's because it's totally true, and I can prove it so there. First of all, once upon a time, I did a song called Roll It Out, 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 This was a heartbreaking song about a monster, but the best part is totally the breakdown part, where it gets all emotional, and it, like, gets to the core of the human monster cat experience. That's the part about a monster following you, you know that part? And this song totally gets to an emotional place just like that, except not about a monster following you, but trust me, you will hear the emotion in it for reals. Next I did brushing, which was about getting brushed. Even though the assignment was about being like shown a knife, what I learned instead was about how I can write about things from my actual life. I don't know if you know, but I really do like brushing. It really is really good. Well, this new song is about my real life too, serious. The next song was one called Rubik's Heart. This was a thing from the 80s. It was like a rock of color squares and you're supposed to turn it and make the colors line up. But in the song, I was pretending it was like a heart that was made up of one of those things. So you're turning the heart and if the colors line up, it's like the girl loves you. This is called a metaphor. In this song, I learned about something my dad calls thematic punning. Where they use lots of different words related to the main thing. I sort of did that in this new song, but without the metaphor, it was just talking about the thing I was talking about, but with words about it too. Merry Christmas If You're Lucky was my next song, and that was about Christmas, but it was also about making the listeners sympathize with me. I think you will sympathize with me even more on this song, because this song is one about a really tender subject I think everyone can relate to. Next was MF. That one was a ballad, but this one is not a ballad. But what was the best part of MF? I mean, the song, not the real MF. Real MF, the best part is eating it. The song MF, the best part was the part that really rocked. The part with the distortion and the hard rocking. I think you will see that this song really rocks a lot as well. My last song was Sirens All These Years. This was a cover of somebody else's song, so I did not write it. But from that I learned how important it is to make a song 
song kick ass, even if it is a boring song. This song is not boring, and I don't think it ever could be, but I made extra sure it is super awesome anyway. So, like I said, this is my final song, and it's totally, like, showing off what I learned, duh, as you can see. Excellent, Scapey. Excellent, Scapey. Um, so that was his essay about his final song, and now everybody kick back and enjoy Scape's final project for the year, Cat is Sleeping. Be seeing you. Right, and um, also next next week. So uh, not next week, but two weeks from now. I think the thirty first is the, is the Monday. Correct, correct. Yes, the thirty first. Uh, we're going to have even more series finales. We're going to have the series finale of Guard Duty and the series finale of Epic Echoes, the backward series, which means it's also the series premiere of Epic Echoes. It's going to be crazy exciting. All that plus a Frank Allen interview and Scapey's extra credit essay, which I think you're going to find like a lot of fun. We already did it and we sent it in, but we're going to read it next time. So come back then. Be seeing you.